This is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame. A few months ago, when I heard the story of today's guest, walking across the streets of Los Angeles making portraits of strangers, I knew that I had to have him on the show. That was confirmed even more as I began exploring his body of work, which is an interesting combination of both commercial entertainment work and socially conscious photojournalism. Making a living is always a big concern for the freelance photographer, but it's really refreshing to see a young photographer who recognizes the importance of social value in storytelling. Well, Matthew, welcome to my deck and to the candid frame. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you coming up uh, on my way. Um, I, I got turned on to your work as a result of a student in my class. You showed me this walkabout project that you did. Mm -hmm. And I saw that and I said, oh, i got to beat this guy. <laughs> um, just the idea of you... You can tell us a little, a little bit about the project, but when I saw that, it was something that really kind of spoke to me in terms of the inventiveness that that some photographers, I think, really uh, tap into in their personal projects. And there's a lot about your work that I want to talk to you about, but let's let's start there because I think that's particularly interesting. Yeah, I think it's actually a good place to start because I was one of the first personal projects that I took on when I was still a photo assistant. Um, you know, post-college and working with a lot of different photographers and then realized that I needed to start producing some of my own work but wanted to find a way to find a story that would be interesting to me but that could show a unique style but that would be able to do in a couple of days without a lot of resources. And so, you know, basically, yeah, I'd been really interested in documentary photography but I'd been working with a lot of commercial photographers that did a lot of lighting. So I wanted to find a way to combine those two things. So I took a light and I put it on wheels and I started downtown uh, Los Angeles and just started kind of pushing the light through the through the different neighborhoods downtown and into Echo Park and through Silver Lake and East Hollywood and Hollywood and all the way all the way through to Venice and it took four days to get across the city and just through each neighborhood would stop people on the street so it was sort of my approach to street photography but bringing you know a little bit of the lighting that I've been doing and some of the other commercial photography and trying to find a way to combine them and then you know it was, it was just fascinating to watch the city sort of change in as reflected in the faces of the people you'd meet in each neighborhood, you know, Echo Park is very different from West Hollywood, is very different from Beverly Hills, is very mm -hmm. different from Venice, and it's reflected in the, you know, the people that are out there on the street. And this whole idea of that you don't walk a lot in L.A., and so to get that opportunity to sort of see who's actually out there on the street and who you can stop and talk to. and um, But then I, you know, but then they were all lit portraits, and then that sort of helped me... Um, you know, move into doing more more lit portraiture work, which is what I was really interested in. So it was a you know it was a personal project that led to to more work. It, it was fascinating just the idea of you in this shopping cart, you know, and, and having your lighting kit going around, going up to strangers and making making their portraits. Uh, your point about Los Angeles not being a walking city is 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 an, is an apt point. Uh, so that that's part of what fascinated uh, me about it because I think that. The, Walking around Los Angeles is such a transitory thing because it's usually people from going from a vehicle to whatever their destination is. Mm -hmm. It's not a city that people kind of amble about like it's Paris or New York City. So I think that that aspect of it has always been sort of intriguing to me yeah. because you can – the people that you end up finding on the street always seem to be so focused on where they're going. 
Well, so, that or they're working. Like, that's the other thing that I found a lot was people that are just at work that happen to be out on the street, you know, whether they were painting or they were valet or they were, um, you know, I'm trying to think shopping, you know, they're sell- selling something, like whatever it was. It was a lot of people that are out there on the street because that's where their customers are coming from and that's what their job was too. So it was, yeah, it was exactly that. It was either someone coming or going or someone working. There wasn't a lot of people just walking for the sake of walking. What did you learn about the city that you didn't know as a result of doing this? I mean, that's a good question. I don't. It's, it would be hard to identify one thing. I think off the top of my head, you know, especially because it was a while ago, also. But I think more than anything, it just sort of reconnected me to the city. It's like I, I started looking at it differently, and just having walked that path, it's like you can't drive by a corner that you made a photograph that, on that you remember without sort of reconnecting to that moment. And I think also just driving and you know, as you drive through the city, remembering that you can stop and take the time to really explore something. I think you start looking at smaller details where if you're just driving by a place, you just sort of see it as a blur. But when you're sort of connected into that headspace of, you know, seeing different backgrounds, seeing different corners, seeing buildings that are interesting, seeing people that are interesting, and just constantly being connected to that idea of there being amazing photographs to make at every corner. And, you know, a lot of the work that I do is travel and takes me to interesting places, but reconnecting to the fact that there's as many interesting pictures just here at home, right outside your door. Did you having this sort of contraption, and if you could explain what what this whole setup was, did the people seeing that sort of help you sort of negotiate the whole idea of you making their, their photograph? Yeah, I think I think almost 100% definitely. It was I mean all it was was a medium roller with uh, you know some J-hooks and a 7B power pack on it and a and a big light on top, you know, a magnum reflector with some 250 diffusion gel. So it was but it was sort of an awkward and like I kept kicking it. So after day 1 my my <laughs> shins were real like bruised up, so I had to wear shin guards also. So I was like I think that I was a, a bit of a strange looking thing and it sort of having this sort of literal cross to bear of pushing this thing and sweating and being like but being really committed to doing this thing a lot of times I'd come up to people and say hey, I'd really like to make a picture and they'd be like no 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 and then they'd be like wait what are you doing and then and then that gave you an access point to say like well so I'm coming across the city and I'm you know this is what the project is and they'd be like okay all right so I think that having that being so sort of out there and awkward, and that's actually, you know, that's helped me in other situations too. I did a project in Fresno in a tent city, and instead of sort of coming in strictly from a news journalism aspect and, you know, coming in and trying to be small, be a fly on the wall, I rolled right in there with the light on a on a medium roller, and I was a, I was a big presence. Um, and so as opposed to sort of trying to like, you know, you know, because I wasn't going to live there and embed for a year. It was like I was only going to be there for a couple of days, and I wanted to make these portraits that, that I thought could sort of help tell the story in a different way and so I think by coming in with um, it, you know it's just me so it wasn't like a huge production but still it was it, it was obvious I wasn't trying to hide and so I think that actually gave me access to to some situations I wouldn't have otherwise had as much access to. So your, your formal education you went to UCLA? So yeah I was in the theater film and television department at UCLA and studied a lot of different aspects of it wanted to be a theater director and studied in the film department but then I started taking classes in the design department and then took some classes in the photography department there but not a lot and it wasn't until after I graduated that I started uh, photo assisting and you know and shooting anything I could shooting headshots and shooting events and shooting um, as much as I could to just sort of make a living um, but really you know got my sort of formal commercial photography education through assisting post-college it's, it's interesting because you're because I look at your work and there's there's a, a, a hybrid of photojournalism and there's more sort of commercial like, entertainment work mm-hmm. and 
I think when I when I saw the project, it seemed kind of antithetical to either goal. You know, it wasn't strictly photojournalism, and it certainly wasn't anything that was sort of commercial. And I could see that, that a lot of people would think, well, why make that choice? Because it doesn't perfectly fit into either genre of of photography. Mm -hmm. So it's there was a certain sort of risk involved, I, I would think. So how did you think about it in terms of what your goal, your overall goals were? What was why why choose this particular assignment as opposed to something else? Well, as opposed to trying to think of it as antithetical to both these two different things of photojournalism and the commercial work, I was thinking of it more as an intersection between the two of them, you know, as a way to access both a little bit of storytelling, a little bit of, you know, real people and authentic moments, but trying to bring some of the style, you know, the stylization and the, um, and the lighting work that I've been learning in the commercial stuff. And it was interesting because, you know, I'd also been doing a portfolio of... What, what I thought people wanted to see. And then I, I was going out to New York for the first time to sort of show this book around and try to have meetings and see if I could get some work. And it was, you know, it was, so I brought both books out. I brought this book that I'd spent three years, you know, shooting every, and setting things up and spending, you know, some money and time to get these test shoots going with these actors and musicians and models. And, and then I brought out the Walkabout project that I had shot for four days and edited for, you know, a, an equal amount of time and, and printed up and put together. And I went out there with this book that I worked on for three years and this book that I worked on for, you know, two weeks. And after a few days, I stopped showing the book that I'd been working on for three years because everyone looked at it and said, like, yeah, you know, that's all right. We, you know, we've seen that before. It's, it's okay. You, you, you technically, yeah, you, you can do that, but there's not, you know, they weren't celebrities, so they weren't excited about it. But they look at Walkabout and they say, like, hey, this is different. This is unique. This has a voice. This is interesting. And between the two, like, I was way more interested in the Walkabout project and that as an experience and an adventure and, yeah. and what that was. And so it was a big eye opener for me of the idea of just like, you know, focusing on a project that I was really interested in, doing something that I cared about and not something that I thought I was supposed to do and then getting a response based on that and realizing that it doesn't necessarily need to be huge production and a ton of money and, and, mm. and all this time that it can just be something that you're passionate about and that it feels cohesive and that was something that people actually responded to and off of that walkabout project I started getting my first assignments and I would say not off of the you know dozens and dozens of test shoots and you know and all that money and all those favors and all that time and all that sweat and blood of you know loading up the van and getting to a location and unloading and setting it up and yeah, that surprise you yeah well yeah definitely um but in a good way in a good way to say that people wow people respond to this project just because i'm excited about it and it was a you know it was something that i was had a unique a, a more unique voice to it mm. um and it was it was very enriching actually that people would um consider that to be you know enough to start getting work off of. Did you find that the work you started getting was very reflective of that, or, or was it that they were so excited by the work that you did, they wanted to work with you because they felt that you had an, a unique insight with respect to what you did with the, with, the, with the camera? I've experienced both things where sometimes you do get these great assignments where people say, we see what you do and we want you to do that under this context. You know, We want you to try that under this for this story, and a lot of times on the editorial stuff. There's been a lot of times also that people are like, we really love that project and now we want you to shoot you know somebody on a white seamless you know yeah just because you have you know but this this was interesting you clearly have the technique so why don't you come and apply that to something entirely different so yeah. that's happened too you do a mix of both photojournalism and commercial work so you were working as a photographic assistant so tell me about that aspect of your career and how that sort of developed for you 
you know, I was working in a restaurant right out of college, you know, like a lot of us did, I think, and just kind of trying to find my place in Los Angeles. And, I, you know, I was doing some short films, and I actually went and lived in Africa for five months doing a documentary project. And it was actually in Africa that I think that I found the power of the still image and sort of my love for um, photography as opposed to video because I was out there trying to make a documentary but I was out there alone and trying to do you know you understand the difficulty of doing audio and video and this is 2005 before we had as much um, you know we didn't have the, the video DSLRs and the cool audio recorders and so you know, I was trying to make a documentary by myself but then I also had a my granddad's 35 millimeter camera and it was making still images and when I came back and the documentary unsurprisingly was not an Oscar winning documentary um, you know as I was out there alone trying to craft this thing but mm. the but the stills were powerful and I knew that they were and they also got a, a lot of response um, and in fact they were they were first place in the International Photography Awards and so all of a sudden I said oh people are responding to mm. these still images and that keyed me into the fact that there was a real power in, you know, just this one moment as opposed to trying to, to stretch it out. And it's interesting because now, of course, I'm looping back around and doing more video work. But, you know, it's that, that full progression. But I think, you know, so I was I, I didn't have a set career path. And, you know, after I came back, I was literally painting the floors of this studio on La Brea called Meow House. You know, at night I would go and I'd paint the, the site Glorama's back white. Um, you know, and I'd, I'd clean the gear, and I'd, I was working in the studio, and, and then I started photo assisting on sets, and then I sort of started seeing commercial photography as a, a way to make a living that would still afford me the ability to do documentary projects and have adventure and access that part of my, you know, the experience that I wanted to have, and so... I was okay from the beginning with this idea of sort of living between these two worlds okay. and if one could free me up to do the other and if the two could inform each other then I was happy with that idea so yeah it was but it was you know it's been a long journey you, you know you're painting the floors and then you're working on set and then you're now you're a first assistant and you know may, each transition that you make is difficult you know I went to shooting set stills on set stills in the cinematographers guild for TV shows and then transitioned that into doing more of the PR and marketing and now advertising for the TV TV shows and so it's been these sort of different steps these different transitions along that journey as well and you know each step each transition is difficult but you just kind of make it a goal and you know make a plan for how you're going to approach it and power on through how did you avoid the obstacle of becoming the forever photo assistant because one of the things is you're becoming a photo assistant you're working on other people's projects your your time gets consumed with other people's vision yeah and then trying to find your own time to do your personal work all of a sudden for a lot of people ends up gets relegated to the back seat yeah and all of a sudden you find yourself two or three years later and you haven't done any new work right i definitely always knew that i was um that i wouldn't be happy just photo assisting that i needed to be a photographer and and so then that pushes you to do your own work and that's exactly it. And, it and it gets harder because you know around the time that I decided I'm not going to photo assist anymore and I'm going to just figure it out how to make a living shooting was around the time that photo assisting was getting really cush like this is when you're getting flown around Chicago New Orleans New York you're staying at the W with an open bar tab and like life is good you're getting paid I was getting paid more as an assistant than I started then making as a photographer and you know so I went from staying in a, in a swank room 
room at the W in New York, you know, all expenses paid with a great day rate to then, you know, back to the, you know, sharing a, a house in L.A. with, you know, three other people and, and going and shooting these small assignments that were not paying a lot that you really had to to hustle. And so, you know, making that leap of faith that it will get better and there's, you know, there's a bigger business growth in this, you know, because I think that I was sort of at the top of, you know, where I could get as a photo assistant. And so making that transition and that leap of faith, it's not easy. I remember asking one of the photographers that I worked for um, as an assistant, I said, hey, man, you know, you were an assistant. How'd you make that transition? He was like, oh, oh, yeah, hey, I starved. <laughs> and I think that's, but that's a big part of it is you just have to be willing to like really like put caution to the wind a little bit. And it gets harder and harder because as you have, you know, if you, once you get into having a mortgage and a family and the rest of it, it gets harder and harder to make that leap of faith. So, you know, I think that there's a real value in assisting, especially if you want to go into commercial work. But even in the journalism, you know, interning or assisting or working for people that do what you want to do, there's a real value in it. But then you have to be careful you know, once you get too comfortable in it. That was what it was for me. Once I stopped learning every day on set, that's when I realized that I needed to make a transition. Once I realized that I was teaching more than I was learning, photographers would hi hire me to be like, oh, tell me how to do this. You know how to do this. So do it. And, you know, kind of set it up for me. And I felt like I was doing more of teaching than learning. That's when I realized it was time for me to, to move on from that. And I think a lot of people are surprised by that, that someone could get a job and not know something. Yeah, well, it definitely happens. But there's a lot of different reasons you can get a job. You may know the talent or you may have a great relationship with the art director or you may, you know, just have this great personality that people want to be around. And that's a value as well. And so it's frustrating as the assistant. We're like, you don't even know how to work a camera. How do you get this job? But I've actually come to the realization that, you know, just working a camera is not enough. Like you have to be bringing something else to the table. And a lot of people know how to work a camera. And as an assistant, you know, you could pay me enough money to set the camera for you and hand it over to you. And then now that's on you to make great images from that. So you make a good point about recognizing that you're at a point where you need to make a change. I think everyone experiences a point where their comfort level meets their desire to do something. Mm. Other people experience it, but the story is different. Yeah, they may have a comfortable job that doesn't involve creativity, but they want to be a photographer or whatever that that sort of story is. Right, and I think that you sort of speak to that idea that regardless of what you're doing or where you are, you are always going to face such a situation where it's like I either do it or I don't do it. Yeah. And and sort of you gotta sort of weigh the benefits of staying put or taking taking the rest. Yeah. And there's even an irony in it too where it feels like at least in my experience, every time that you have to make that decision is when it's gotten really good, when you are really comfortable. And that's even the harder part about it is that you're like, man, I life is pretty good right now. Yeah. And now is when I have to shed you know, the comfort and step into the wilderness, you know, the next wilderness and try to figure that out. And it's that leap of faith, but, and it doesn't happen just once in your life. You know, I mean, for me, it's, I feel like I've had to do it several times to sort of keep on progressing, you know, and, I, and I'll have to do it again where, you know, you have to give up the comfort of the things that you know, in order to go achieve that next thing that you really are passionate about. Do you find sometimes that there's a conflict between the, the commercial work that is providing you your source of income and the personal projects that you want to do? Time is always, <laughs> there's never enough time to do everything you want to do. I mean, that's definitely the one thing that I, you know, you wish that a year could be a million days long so you could get all of these projects done. Because there are, you know, dozens of projects that I would love to undertake, both on the, you know, the, the journalism side and on the commercial side. And there's all sorts of stuff that I want to do. And it's, yeah, it's, it's difficult to, you know, figure out how to balance that. Um, 
But for me personally, I feel like they access different parts of my brain and different parts of my personality, but I don't feel like I'm two different people doing these things. I feel like it's both of – I respond – I don't do entertainment work just for money. I really enjoy it. There's something about it. You know, there's an energy and there's a pressure and there's, you know, there's a part of my brain that, you know, responds very well to the scheduling and the budgets and the crews and the coordination and then, you know, being there and the pressure and, you know, in communicating this vision and dealing with talent and, you know, all of these different elements that I really enjoy. And then there's an, you know, there's an aspect of the journalism work of storytelling and adventure and, you know, finding authentic moments and, you know, with real people and, and getting their story out there and doing something that feels like it can be important and can have a, a you know, make a real effect that also is ex- extremely exciting. And if I was just doing one or just doing the other, I'm not sure how comfortable I would be. And so what, you know, and so of course what I try to find is intersections between them and what kind of projects can can do both things for me, you know, yeah. can can feel important and feel authentic, but that can also incorporate the, you know, my my love of, you know, coordinating and strategically, you know, building these productions. You, you went to Cambodia and you did a story on some deforestation that's happening there and the impact that it's having on the, um, on the community of people that, that lives there. Um, tell us about why, why this story. Yeah, that's, a, I think, a good, a good example of the combination of sort of the coordination of the production and then just getting to sort of tell a story and, and sort of try to get someone's story out there, you know, because it's, it's difficult to get to Cambodia and get to the area that we were in and bring equipment and um, do that. So that was a challenge. And then just being out there itself was a, you know, a big adventure. We were on motorcycles through the forest and there wasn't always places to stay or things to eat. And, you know, there was elements that were extremely difficult out there as well. The project came up. Um, I went to Cambodia for the first time a year and a half ago as without a real identified goal. I went out there just to have an adventure, to see a new place in the world that I hadn't seen before, and to opt to volunteer for different nonprofits and social entrepreneurs and try to give them some, you know, the photography services and um, let photography be an access point to stories out there and, uh, you know, that you would not get as just sort of a tourist. Mm-hmm. Um, and as one of the things that I kind of fell into was photographing the TEDx conference in Phnom Penh and photographing the TEDx conference I met this amazing group of activists and social entrepreneurs and um, you know non people that work in nonprofits in Cambodia and some of them I was able to collaborate with the first time I was out there and then some of them I you know became great friends with and kept in touch with but wasn't able to collaborate the first time so one of my friends out there Ali she actually she was working with this group of activists in the Praelang Forest and so she called me you know we kept in touch and she called me up at some point and said there's this really interesting story happening and think that you would be really interested in coming out here and you know working traveling through the forest and working with these activists and trying to help tell the story and get it out there and you know use some of your contacts in the media to try to get the story out on the on the other side and so we started kind of planning this but you know it was very much just acting on faith there wasn't even though she was on the ground in Cambodia you know it's there's not a communication it's very remote where we were and you know so I literally flew in there we didn't know a lot of what was going to happen and we got on a bus and we were working with a Cambodian journalist that came up with us you know as a translator as well and you know we took this bus 12 hours to the north and then we got on motorcycles and started going through the forest and just and we had these activists that sort of shepherded us through this forest and you know five days on motorcycles through the forest and then 
one of the activists that we were working with was called Chet Vuti, and he was um, this amazing figure, this sort of superhuman figure that was an environmental activist in Cambodia, and he was extremely well respected by the activists on the ground that he worked with, and extremely feared by the government that he was, you know, sort of protesting against on the ground and then also in the courts and. He was, a, he was a big figure and quoted in the newspaper a lot. And we worked with him and, and traveled around with him, and he showed us the work that he was doing. And then after we came back, you know, maybe I think it was four, five weeks later, he was showing to other journalists in a different part of Cambodia, other deforestation, and the military police pulled him over and tried to confiscate his camera. And there's been varying reports of what happened, but he was shot and killed by the military police. And because I think, you know, we had these photos of him doing his work from just, you know, a few weeks before. And as that became a news story, we were able to get those photos out into the media, the New York Times, and the L.A. Times and The Economist. You know, and they all ran these photos and the story about Chet Fouti. And we'd just been with him, so they quoted us in the, in the stories as sort of getting that story out there. And it became international news. And I think in a way that hadn't happened in Cambodia before, the country really rallied around this idea of you cannot just murder these activists and sweep them under the rug. Like, now people know. And, and there's, been a, there's been a much more... Um, vocal opposition to the government in Cambodia since then, and you know, and I think in a small way, having been there, um, and and having, you know, had these photos to to give out to these different outlets, it's it's helped get his story out there and yeah. help get that out. It must feel both gratifying and heartbreaking at the same time. Yeah, it's exactly you it. know the fact that you, the work is out there, the story is going out there, but here's this person who you got to know. Yeah, the person who's you know. Became, you had a relationship with yeah. who was killed as a result of the work that he's doing and that, that ends up being the sort of the impetus why the work gets gets out there and, yeah you know, well if you could cho- you know if I could choose between my photos being in the New York Times or Chet Vuti being alive and still being an activist the choice is obvious you know that it's Chet Vuti you know being alive and being an activist and you know and it, and it was really it felt so strange that it took him dying to get the media interested in the story when it was just him working and him doing this activism no one was that interested you know once he had been killed now that's news and you know it's it's frustrating and it and it is a very strange feeling and but but the the other option of just not having been there not putting that stuff out there you know i mean he was killed and so you know, the the very least that we feel like we could do is try to get his story out there as much as possible. Yeah. Does that give you give you pause in terms of some of the risks that you may take sometimes in terms of you putting your own self out there in terms of getting a getting a story? I know it's not common for you to be in such situations where there is you know, the threat of death or, or bodily injury, but this coming that close to it because it was just a matter of weeks that another group of journalists were there with him, and though they were themselves injured, there was all there was the possibility that they could have, or you could have, for that for that matter. Yeah, we were really surprised that the story took that turn. You know, when we were out there, there was these elements of danger. You know, and a lot of them were just the environmental, the difficulty of being out there. And we had run-ins with the military police, but it didn't feel that violent. You know, it, but you know, I've colleagues and friends that do conflict photography and that's you know an entirely different thing like trying to do this activism work you don't you didn't expect that but you know you i don't think that you can live in 
fear of I mean you can be smart I think you have to be smart and, and not take undue risk but I don't think that it's going to keep me from doing projects like that I mean we're already talking about what sort of the next projects could be in that vein because yeah I don't yeah I think you just have to be smart about what risks you take I don't think that um, you know I think that some of the best work is made when people put themselves out there yeah. and are, are willing to take risk. How long does your commitment stay with a project like that? Because, yes, you got your images done, they got published. Um, do you feel a sort of obligation to continue working on that? Yeah, it's a really, it's a great question, and it's something that I, it's still in flux for me. I think that I'm starting to take on longer-term projects. Well, actually, the, when I went to Africa for those five months, and I worked on that project, and then, you know, that was five months, and then coming back, the editing process, and that was a couple of years that I worked on that. And to not, it wasn't as successful as I had hoped it would be. So then I started working on shorter-term projects. And if I invest less time, then I expect less of a result out of it, if that makes sense. And so, but now I've started to, you know, be more confident in my skills and more confident in my ability to sort of craft a project that can have an effect and can actually accomplish something as opposed to just sort of doing something on a whim and, you know, but taking on so much. So now I'm starting to, you know, and I'm still, you know, I'm still trying to do what I can, you know, from here in terms of the story in Cambodia and looking at projects, you know, within similar themes to continue that work on, you know, about this, about these land use themes. And, but my day to day, it's like now I'm back in LA and now I have to make a living. And so I'm back to, you know, doing commercial work. And so there's a lot of, there's a lot that comes with that, you know, day to day. It's not like I have all day and, you know, I've never been good at applying for grants and I've never been good for sort of just asking for money. You know, I'm good at making money and I'm good at spending money, but I haven't been good at like getting the money that would allow me to just sort of just work on a project like that. So, you know, as of now, the way that my sort of model works, it's like that means that I have to get back to, you know, shooting commercial work now, which, you know, um, but, you know, there's still time in the day to, you know, the uh, other journalists will be you can collaborate with and provide them images or give them, you know, contacts or give them, you know, context and, you know, talk to them about the story. And so you hope that the collaboration, it's like, I can't do that full time and I can't, you know, fix that, but I can do my best to sort of try to help, you know, in, in whatever ways I can. Um, but it has been interesting to sort of try to visualize longer term projects that then will have, uh, Success that will have results as opposed to, um, you know, just fading away. So how do you find yourself promoting and marketing your, your work now, but primarily your, your commercial, your commercial work? Uh, you know, I think just the general routes of, you know, I've got my website and I've got my contacts and I've got my, you know, I do some promos and I do social media as much as I can. And I try to get out there and, you know, different formats of blogs and, um, just kind of, you know, being ex open to, you know, putting it out there as much as possible. I, you know, I feel like I'm um, confident now about the work that I have and the work that I'm doing, and just you know, it's just about finding ways to get it out there and get it in front of people. When you're sharing your work on your blog, or I don't know if you do sort of e-blast or if you do any of any of the or sending, sending promo cards. Do you find that you're that you're leaning towards sharing more about your personal work uh, with your potential? commercial clients or clients that you've worked in, in the past because that seems to resonate with them more or do you find that you feel like you need to include a, a, a good balance of the commercial work that's actually bringing you money to demonstrate to them that you're capable of 
I mean, it's both for sure. I think that, you know, I do both things and so I'm not afraid to share both things. And I do find that like, you know, the people that I work with in entertainment and, you know, on the commercial side, they're great lovers of photography and they're, you know, they're great creative people that love great photography. And and so they don't, there's no stigma about showing them, you know, the personal work or journalism work or the work from Cambodia or work from anywhere else. They're always excited to see that. And even if it doesn't necessarily translate into, you know, directly into a project, of course, you need to keep showing them the commercial work as well to let them know that you know you're doing that and that that's getting better and that you're more confident and that skill set's growing but I don't think that there's a it's not like there's a stigma where like oh well don't show me your personal work your journalism work or I don't want to see that because it's photography and they love photography and I think that they're out there constantly seeking new great photography even if it's not exactly what they make and then on the journalism side you know it's funny I'll go in on a meeting and someone will be looking at the journalism work and then they'll see a picture from Glee and they'll be like oh my god I love this show let's talk about that and you're like let's back it up let's talk about the journey no, 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 let's talk about Glee. You're like, okay. <laughs> so I think that people from both fields enjoy the crossover a little bit, you know. Um, but it is difficult because it's like, you know, the the standard vision is that you do one thing and you do it well and that's your one thing that you got to do. And I think that if I did either just journalism or if I did just commercial work, I would be farther along so to speak, yeah. in one of these two fields, but I don't know that I would be as sort of personally fulfilled by photography then. Yeah. Um, I think that it would start to, there, I wouldn't access all these different parts of my mind that I want to access with it. You know, do you ever think about the perspective that you have of the world as a result of the work that you do? I mean, you go into, into doing this stuff for Hollywood, for Glee, for all these television shows, and there is complete fabrication right. where it's all about illusion. Right. It's all about you know, this sort of elaborate cultural lie that we all sort of share. And then you end up going to Cambodia or you go to Africa or you go to some people who are going marijuana, huh. you know, and, these hills. and all of a sudden there's this sort of raw, real world with real world. And you're sort of straddling both worlds. You're going back and forth. Yeah. It's a great question. I don't know that I have a... When I figure that out, I'll be sure to <laughs> sure to let you know. But I do think that the one thing that I've noticed is that like it's a it's just the, like the world is just gray. Like it's not black and white for me. It's like it's. I think that there's this tendency in commercial photography to sort of do this. We are having more fun than you around the corner. Like that's what we're selling. Is that like you know that there's this exciting life that you want to be a part of that you're going to watch. You know, with advertising, with entertainment, and with fashion, it's all about sort of we're having more fun than you. Like, and I think that the photographers that do that have to put on a little bit of that I'm having more fun than you sort of persona um, in, a, in a way. And then, you know, there's this sort of, in journalism, there's this very serious sort of heaviness of like the world is messed up, man, and you need to pay attention. You're not paying enough attention because you're too distracted by this mm-hmm. entertainment. And I think that some of the people that work within that sort of feel an uh, obligation to then take it really seriously, you know? And for me, it's very gray. It's like sometimes I'm having a lot of fun and sometimes, you know, it is serious and it is messed up. And, you know, I think that sometimes a commercial photographer that's got all the money and the fancy car is having a bad day and sometimes the journalist that's supposed to be taking it so serious is like sitting on his buddy's boat drinking you know a Tecate because they were like going out fishing and soaking up the sun so I don't think that it's this sort of black and white and you know I think that it's it's all part of the gray man and I'm I've the more that I accept that and try to access that I think the sort of less sort of stressed I am about sort of being one thing or the other you know it's like life is gray and it's an adventure and it's fun and 
you know, that's just kind of part of it. And so I think that, you know, live, bouncing between these two worlds is as part of that for me. How do you sort of measure your, your progress as a, as a photographer? How does that work for you in terms of you assessing how you are progressing as, a, as an artist? It's hard. That's a constant evolution, I think. And right now I'm in a place where I'm very much sort of reassessing what the work that I have and how to contextualize that and sort of how to phrase that, how to speak about it. And I think that in learning how to contextualize your work, that informs then how you shoot moving forward. And so I think that it's important to actually take that consideration and talk about it and really think about it because I think that it's easy to sort of just slide into things and especially if you're shooting for money especially if you're making a living as a photographer and you haven't gotten blissfully lucky where you've just landed in this place where people just pay you great money to just be yourself and shoot whatever you're interested in if you're if you're you know work for hire it's easy to slide into making someone else's images and then that becoming your style and so i think that it's important to actually take that step back and you know try to put it into context and into historical context into current context into your own context of sort of what kind of work you're trying to make and what that means and i think that by really thinking about it that helps inform how you make it in the future. So if you say, my work is this, you know, this is what I want it to be, then when you go out with your camera the next time, that's in your mind. And you say, well, let me remind myself that what I want my work to be is this. So I'm going to start to look for that a little bit. Yeah. Um, so I'd, you know, I, I don't have the perfect definition of what it is that I'm doing. I'm in that place right now where I'm, again, reassessing sort of what I do and then trying to figure out what the next step's going to be. And yeah. it's probably going to be giving up comfort and walking into the wilderness again. <laughs> Have you ever had a moment where it was just a huge disappointment, but that ended up informing what you ended up doing as a result of that? I'm sure that there's been a lot of them, but the one that jumps out immediately is this, you know, this five months that I spent in Africa, because I went out there with the end result. I was going to make a documentary, and it was going to be seen, and it was going to be important, and I was incapable of coming back with a compelling documentary technological you know didn't have the the all the right resources i was trying to do it alone i was super young I, there was a million reasons why i was unable to come back with uh with the documentary that i wanted to make and it was a huge you know it was a huge disappointment but at the same time i think that's what informed everything i've done in the last few years of that's where i discovered photography and that's where i started realizing that i can take on smaller projects and they can be successful in their own right and they can have an effect and they don't have to be this massive scale and then I can start scaling that up and you know so I think that that was one project for sure that felt at the time like a massive failure but that ended up informing you know a lot more and I and I'm super grateful for that experience and I wouldn't change it I wouldn't take it back you know of course there's things that you would want to do differently but I think that if I had come somehow if I would gotten really lucky and made this great documentary somehow you know I don't know that I would be have had to I've had to I've actually had to work pretty hard for everything like along the way you know and I think that having had to work hard through all those transitions gives you that discipline and gives you that passion and keeps that creativity flowing and so the fact that wasn't so easy and that didn't just like you know of course as I was going to do it everyone was like that's not going to work man and I was like oh you don't tell me that I'm going to make this work somehow and then didn't and then realized like oh like life is hard <laughs> like having a career is going to be difficult and you know making great images is a constant daily like it's not there's no magic bullet and you just have to keep on working really hard and keep busting on it yeah you're working uh, more with video now Been and how much is that as a result of the demands of the the commercial the clients and how much is it is has to do with the fact that you want to use that 
and you just want to go, oh, I want to, I want to play around with video. I think it's more the latter. I think that right when the DSLR video sort of revolution came out, there was this big, everyone wanted to try it. And then everyone realized how difficult and time-consuming and costly it was. And so then clients didn't really want to pay for it as much. And that was a couple of years ago. But in the meantime, I love video. I, you know, and I love motion. And I love, you know, the, the audio is interesting and time. You know, it's like photography plus time. And so, you know, I think that there's something really interesting about videos. So that's been more my desire to access that. But I think that it's now circling back around where more and more clients are now bringing that back into the, the workflow. So it sort of got past this initial moment of just like, excitement and then now we're sort of getting into a more realistic place and I'm you know I'm happy to have sort of started experimenting with that and you know to feel more comfortable with that but it's, it's just an exciting tool and it's you know it's all it's all about storytelling and um, it's you know why not it's great are, are they asking you when you know they, they, they bring you in because they're interested in your still work and are they sort of automatically asking you do you do video or is it sort of it's gone both ways. I just got an assignment, you know, I got called for an assignment recently that was stills plus video, uh, you know, on a travel assignment that, you know, and I think that having done the video and having done the stills, they, when the, and having done the travel, you know, when the call came in for, hey, we need someone to go shoot stills and video on, on assignment, you know, traveling, that my name popped up. And so I think that that's helpful. But, you know, a lot of times I'm pitching video to clients and saying, hey, can we throw some video in there? And then also just not even doing video just for commercial assignments. But I just did a short film early in the year that we're, you know, now in the editing process for. But, you know, that was, again, like a personal project. And it was a story that I heard. I actually heard a short story on This American Life and thought it would make an amazing short film and, you know, brought and brought it to some of my friends and started collaborating with people that I really wanted to work with. And the next thing you know, I mean, it took a year and a half, but the next thing you know, um, you know, we were, we we're shooting that and then we're editing it. And the process has been really fun and exciting and it's new. And, you know, I've, I've always sort of been of the idea that if you're not scared waking up to go do an assignment, you probably shouldn't even do it unless you're getting paid a bunch of money. Cause yeah. if you're not, cause then you're not, you're not pushing yourself and you're not, you're not, um, you're not growing then. And so moving into this video realm scared the hell out of me. Like, how am I going to pull this off? There's all these elements and all these people and all these things I don't know about, but that was exciting. You know, if it's just about like, you know, setting up a seamless and getting a portrait, you know, that's not as, you know, it's like, I'm going to keep doing that to make a living but like what am I going to do that's going to keep me up at night trying to figure out like oh man how am I going to pull this one off because that's where growth seems to come from well my last question is I always ask my guests to recommend and suggest another photographer yeah someone they've long admired or someone they've recently discovered so who would that one photographer be for you and why so I was thinking about this on the way out here and what I hope that I can do and it doesn't fit exactly it's not one photographer but I did the Eddie Adams workshop this last year and it was an incredible experience and super enriching for me as a photographer on the journalism side and even informing the commercial side and it's it, you know if your audience doesn't know about it I think that they should look it up and that will access that was a hundred photographers just this last year you know that's 2,500 photographers over the the history of the thing but I think that that resource was one of the most like compelling and you know informative and life enriching things that I've done recently is a tuition free workshop that you apply to but if it's possible to you know for anyone listening to this if they're interested in especially on the journalism side to you know for street photography um, and even for sports photography they have a program for and it's an incredible resource that's out there and it introduces you to amazing people and amazing photographers and amazing editors and amazing 
um, you know, just 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 phenomenal people. That was that was a great experience that I would highly recommend anyone check out. Yeah, I don't know I, if that counts. I, no, I second that. I second <laughs> that. And yeah, people should definitely uh, check that out. And I'll I'll have a link on the on the site for that. So that's a, that's a great recommendation. Okay, cool. Uh, so where where can people find out more about you? I guess just uh, just the website MatthewYoung.com. Um, and I guess it'll be spelt on the uh, on the podcast. On the blog, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming out here. Yeah, thanks for doing this. It was a lot of fun. The Candid Frame is supported by donations from people just like you. You can help support the work we do here by visiting the website at thecandidframe.com and contributing using PayPal. You can also support the show by writing a review in the iTunes Music Store or by adding a link to the podcast on your website or blog. The editor for this show is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. Music is by Kevin McLeod. And this is Ibadian X, and this is The Candid Frame.